0: If we, I don't think I think that should be enough, but I have a few extras in the office in the secretary's office if we are short. So while that's coming around, let me tell you what that sheet is going to tell you is that uh, this is week one of our 13-week summer quarter, and what we have typically done in years gone by is that we have had area preachers come in for a summer series. Uh, We have tried to consolidate some of those outside events through Equipped, uh, and so uh, this summer series is in-house. Primarily, it's going to be Hiram and I going through the Minor Prophets. David Palman is going to teach uh, next week, and uh, 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 Gary uh, Pollard is going to teach July 19th, Uh, and then Hiram and I will do the rest of those. There. How many? How many minor prophets are there? There's a bunch. Yeah. Let's narrow it down just a little bit. How many of y'all? Let me get this up here. Let me see. We maybe we maybe still be switching presentations. It looks like most everybody has one. Anybody not have one? Okay. You don't have one? Okay. He's. Uh, it's coming back around. Anybody? Got a, got a ballpark. 12. Twelve. All right, we'll talk more about that. So we've got a little problem, right? Twelve prophets, how many weeks in the quarter? Thirteen. All right, so tonight's the introduction class, and uh, we're going to, to do that. Uh, I have I'm using several different resources. Uh, I don't know that there's a better one on the minor prophets outside of the Bible itself than a book written by Jack P. Lewis. I don't know if any of you knew him uh, I'm old enough that I remember him as an older man, a much older man, uh, speaking on college lectureships like Fried Hardeman and Faulkner where I went to school. And he was probably, if not the greatest scholar among Churches of Christ, maybe it was Everett Ferguson, but he was certainly among them, uh, respected across the religious spectrum. And he wrote a book on the minor prophets uh, that if you're looking for something, go to a used book site like bookfinder.com. And finds you a copy of that, I think you'll be glad that you uh, have that. If you're looking for resources uh, in addition to that, Homer Haley uh, has a good book on the... And they're all called, with great originality, The Minor Prophets, all right? So all these book titles are the same. Uh, When uh, I was at Bear Valley, we devoted two lectureships to The Minor Prophets, and we did a part one and a part two I believe that those are still in print, and you could order those. They're relatively inexpensive, and they're hard uh, copy book, hardbound books. Um, you can just go to wetrainpreachers.com, I believe is their website. But Jack Lewis says that he was talking to someone, as I guess it was in wartime, World War II maybe, He was talking to somebody on the draft board and he was found out that Lewis, as you often have to kind of give your religious affiliation, or at least you used to, found out he was Church of Christ and he made this very interesting statement. He said, oh, you are the guys or the folks that have thrown the Old Testament away. Now, why do you think that that would be the idea? I don't know how widely that is thought of with regarding Churches of Christ, but it was at one time. Why would somebody say that? You guys have thrown the Old Testament away. I'm not saying that's how we feel, but why would somebody draw that conclusion? New Testament church, which is not overtly taught about in the Old Testament. Okay, that's fair. Any other reasons, you think? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. All right, that's fair. We're going to talk more about that. But when you read about the biography, there's four biographies of Jesus' in the New Testament, and the teaching of Jesus is reflected upon by the New Testament writers from Romans to Revelation. Uh, we're going to find out, maybe not as much tonight, but as we go through this quarter, how much Jesus there is in the Old Testament. Uh, any other reasons? Okay, because of doctrinal changes, right, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant that we make a big distinction about, the fact we don't have priests and garments and robes that lead us, that stand between us and God. We don't uh, go to Jerusalem for worship as they did in the Old Covenant. and We go to Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 and Hebrews 8 and all these passages that say it's been abrogated, it's been taken out of the way, we're no longer under the Old Law. And so we perhaps are often found sharing that message and people associate that with us Dennis something yeah, say, we don't okay right so when it gets to an application on worship uh, and uh, sometimes folks will appeal to the Old Testament for the musical portion of our worship and we'll say well we're not under that dispensation that covenant anymore we don't worship on the Sabbath we worship on the first day of the week okay all that's fair but is it would it be right for us to be the people who throw away the Old Testament Okay, for obvious reasons, right? It's part of the inspired Word of God. I don't know if any of you ever knew Johnny Ramsey, uh, also now deceased. But Johnny Ramsey, I think, rightly said that he has never known a New Testament scholar that was not an Old Testament scholar. And you've heard the various statements, right, and maybe the scheme of redemption, that the Old Testament is the New Testament, what, concealed? The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. All right. But do we sometimes treat the Old Testament, or at least portions of it, like we've thrown it away? Is it practically as if we've thrown away parts of the Old Testament? And I would say the minor prophets are a portion that in practical terms we know less about. Is that a fair statement? Think about that because my very next question is, what do you know about the minor prophets? Just random hit me with it. They're at the end of the Old Testament. All right, good. At least we know where to find them, right? Huh? books were shorter than the Minor Prophets. And this really, I didn't have, um, I wasn't going to go into definition, but that's why they're called Minor Prophets. We're all aware of that, right? It's because of the length of the book. Uh, one of the facts to know is that all 12 of the Minor Prophets If you put them together in length or about the same length of Isaiah. Now Isaiah is one of the longest books of the Bible. Sixty-six chapters and very long chapters. Some of them. Some of them very short. Uh, But you put all the minor prophets, if you were looking at papyrus and how thick they were, you put it next to uh, Isaiah. They're about the same. So smaller books. We feel sorry for Hosea. Without taking too much of the Hosea teacher's thunder. Why? Okay, he was treated so poorly. Have one of the worst assignments God ever gave to a prophet. If you don't know what that means, then wait. Hosea's early on in the quarter, and we'll talk more about that. What else do we know about the minor prophets? Jonah and the fish. Jonah and the fish. Thank you. So You know more about the minor prophets than you thought you did. All right, so we got Jonah and the fish. Hannah's stolen your thunder, probably. What else? Okay, Joel talks about all kind of different locusts at the beginning of the, the book of uh of, of Joel, that's that's good. Gold star stuff there, that's good. What else? Okay, now, but let's keep in mind, even though Daniel's a shorter book, he's one of the major prophets. Our, our minor prophets are who? Starting with Hosea through Malachi. Anything? Oh, hey, how about this? Any passages from the minor prophets that are familiar to you? Oh, good. Okay. What does it say? To some. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. He's shown you what, uh, what is good, what the Lord requires of you. Good. Everybody heard Micah 6.8 before? So I forget which website it is that ranks. You know, when people do searches, Bible searches, in the various Bible programs across the various platforms, that's the number one passage from Micah that people will look up or try to get the words to because we know that when Micah 6 8. maybe you want to do your little running list somewhere all right any other passages from my from the minor prophets I mean there's 12 whole books that's one-fifth almost of the Bible okay who's who do you know who said that it was asking a question for him. Malachi will a man rob God anybody know where that is of course not, I got the notes in front of me. You don't. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. And then you might know verse 10 that goes with that, right? Um, bring all the tithes in the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven, pour on you a blessing so great that you'll not be able to receive it. What why do we sometimes quote that? What what topic is the Bible teacher or the preacher normally preaching on? Giving. Giving. That's how you've heard it before, probably, including the will a man rob God. What else? Habakkuk. Actually, there's a couple in Habakkuk that are better known to us. Which one came to your mind? Uh, oh, actually, that's good. That's not, is it 17 maybe? Yeah. All right, what does that say? It's like you've got your Bible open. This, see, by the way, in, in Habakkuk, Habakkuk's got this faith struggle going on, and we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of class, and he's kind of come to reconcile things. And what he's doing is he's looking at, things are bad for the people of God when he writes Habakkuk. And the enemies of God are, are who God is using to punish his people. And he makes a statement about, even if things are really bad, what? What's the end of that? I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to trust him. Even if I can't figure out what's going on, I'm going to trust in him. But you know, we sing from Habakkuk. It's that one, we used to do, We used to uh, worship used to start sometimes, I don't know, we haven't done this here, but we'd have a song to get up and lead a, a, a true opening song. And this was the one. What is it? Somebody said it. The Lord. Everybody, 100% of us can quote that. The Lord is in his. Keep going. All the earth keeps silence before him. And then no, no, keep silence, keep silence, keep silence before him as we've added that. That's not in there. But you knew that. You quoted a minor prophet, Habakkuk 2.20. And perhaps one that's the most quoted from Habakkuk. Is one you also know very well? You just didn't know it was in Habakkuk two four. Say it again. I'm hearing. No, but that's that's a good song. It's it's everybody's favorite song for number four hundred. Live by faith. Who, who's going to live by faith? The just shall live by faith. You've heard that right? It's all over the Bible. You know who said it first? Habakkuk. All right, what else? Anything else from uh, the minor prophets? That's pretty good. My people for lack of okay, all right. I thought that one might be one that would come through. Hosea 4 in verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I've rejected you. Uh, because your children have uh, rejected me, they'll no longer be my people. All right? Any others? That's it. All right, so Acts it's kind of easy to remember Acts 2, 28-32 is a quotation of Joel 2, 28-32. And the part of that we remember the most, maybe, do you remember what is it? About the old men? Young men? Dream, yeah, see visions, dream dreams. That's, that's Joel, Joel 2, 28. Anything else? Okay. Um, you know, Haggai, by the way, uh, is a story that maybe we know better than the other minor prophets but we don't really have, there's none that really stand out. But if there is one, it's uh, Haggai 1, 5, and 7, where the prophet says it twice, consider your ways. Um, you've so much, you bring in little. Uh, and when you brought it, I, I blew upon it. it. said, So, you know, you're taking care of your house, but the house of the Lord lies desolate. But that's the, the, the passage from there. Any others? All right, y'all went a little deeper than I thought. Nahum doesn't really have one that's, that's too well known, but one of my favorite verses in the Bibles, Day whom 1 and verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those that trust in him. Beautiful picture of God. Uh, let's see. Oh, Amos 3.3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And then another song we sing is from Amos 4 and verse 12. Careless soul, why will you linger? The end of it says, Oh, well, that's the one we hadn't sang in a long time. Prepare to meet thy God. All right, that's from the Old King James. That's Amos four and verse twelve. Um, Obadiah does. It's one chapter. I don't want to steal too much of David's thunder. It's uh, there's not much there by way of uh, verses, but verse seventeen, uh, the the people of Zion are going to possess their possessions in the day in that day. Um, Zephaniah, not much you'd ever heard of out of Zephaniah. I'm pretty sure you might want to write down Zephaniah three seventeen. Um, Zechariah nine, 9 uh, the uh, triumphal entry is quoted in multiple gospel writers. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Behold, uh, your, uh, your, uh, the, your king comes to you, righteous having salvation. You know the context for that passage. And then, of course, Malachi 3.8 and 10. All right, so here are some other things that we'll say before we get into our, our three points uh, tonight. And that is some, some facts that you might want to put down. What do you know about the minor prophets Did you know that all but Obadiah and Nahum are either quoted or cited in the New Testament? So they were significant to New Testament writers that they would allude to them, or in some cases quote them. Um, the, The 12 books that we call the minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible, anybody know how many books it was in the Hebrew Bible? One. So you remember, if you were in the how we got the Bible class, we have how many Old Testament books in our Bible? 39. And in the Hebrew Bible, anybody know how many was in that one? 22. So a big reason why was they had the minor prophets as one. Um, when it comes to the arrangement of the book, did you know that we don't really know because the Greeks did it one way and the, the Greek Old Testament and the Hebrews did it another way? The Masoretic scribes did it a, a little different way that we don't know why the exact arrangement and order is what it is, especially in the first seven. The last part of the uh, minor prophets are more chronological. Um, they're roughly chronological, but it's believed that Hosea is put at the top of the list because of the, the theme, the, the, the Jew thought very topically. And the topic under discussion in the Minor Prophets is an understanding of the love of God. And Hosea gives us a very poignant picture of God's love. The foundation of his choosing of his people was the love that he had for his people. And it's incredible. It's a love story. I mean, when we start studying Hosea, you're going to think, man, this is not a love story like I want to ever share it the, around the, the dinner table at, at night. or sp- Certainly not with my kids, but it is a love story because it is exactly how God's people had treated God, is the way that Gomer treated Hosea. Um, did you also know that Obadiah is the shortest Old Testament book? You probably did. Uh, It's also probably the earliest book chronologically. That's why we're going to handle it first in the list. Um, And there's probably more we could say, but I wanted to get to the uh, 512-5512. Did any of y'all ever learn Bible facts this way? I mean, you're going to impress all your friends. If you do Trivial Pursuit in Bible sometime soon, you're going to blow them away. 512-5512, what is that? It's not a phone number. What's the first five? Anybody? Books of Law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. All right, now now you're on to me. What's the twelve? The books of history that follow that, from Joshua to Second uh, Esther. All right. The next five. Poetry, Job through Song of Solomon. The next five. The major prophets. That's uh, Isaiah through Daniel. And then the twelve. Hosea through Malachi. Alright, so this 12 is a part of God's inspired library. And so it has theological value. I know that's a huge word, but do you know what we mean when we say theological value? Value means what? It's, It's important, right? Theological means what? It's important because it tells us about God's nature, God's character, God's expectations, God's will... And so there's much that we're going to see along those lines as we dig into those individual books. Um, But what I want us to do is to go beyond the trivial pursuit, and I want to look at three things tonight. I want us to look at the, the time, the tasks, and the themes of the minor prophets. When we talk about the time, there's two ways that we could approach this. When we talk about time, we could be speaking chronologically. And these are books that occupy history. They're historical books. They fit into a certain timeline. And so for this, we would want to consult a calendar. But if we are to speak about them theologically, the times in which they're written, they were written in a specific uh, condition. The people were in certain times that were characteristic that we can look at and learn from. Right? Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10. Those things are a part of the things that were written aforetime for our learning. So when we look at the times in which they live, we can learn a lot about why the prophets wrote what they wrote and what we can glean from them. Yes, sir. That's an important fact. that that's, that's a good setup for this. Because a lot of times, you'll hear this, right? In the minor prophets, when we talk about the northern kingdom. What's the other name for the northern kingdom at this period of time? Israel. Now, that can be so confusing because Israel is also the more generic term. That's what the name that God renamed Jacob, Israel. That's kind of synonymous with all the people of God. And it's hard for us, all of our lives having heard Israel, not to think in that way. But when we get to Hosea through Malachi, it's, it's on the timeline, the time of the divided kingdom. And you remember about that, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few moments. But after Solomon's reign and his son Rehoboam's reign, the kingdom divided. And the northern kingdom went with Jeroboam. This was part of God's prophecy and God's punishment for uh, Solomon's sin of idolatry. And so the northern kingdom is going to be known as, when you hear me talk about Israel and you hear us talk about Israel, that's mostly what we're going to be talking about. It's possible, listen closely. We might be talking about all the people of God, but in this period of time, we're talking about Israel, the northern tribes. The southern kingdom is also known as what? Judah. Until Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they're all one nation. This is the promised nation uh, that was promised to Abraham. But now it's divided, okay? So some of the prophets are going to be writing to the northern kingdom, the earlier prophets. And some of them are going to be writing to Judah. By the way, some of them are going to be addressing other nations or be concerned with other nations. But mostly it's being written to the people of God. So when you hear me talk about Judah, they were once a part. That's the largest tribe in the south. That was uh, David's tribe. And so Solomon was able to retain that and half the tribe of, um, of Ephraim. Okay, so we have the divided kingdom. So that gets us to these dates that I'm going to show you. Um, There's a lot of important dates in the Old Testament, but did you know that a lot of the most significant dates are in the time in which the minor prophets are writing? All right, so if you want to put little bumpers on it, 722 to 445. When you begin to look at those dates, they're significant to the events that the minor prophet writers are writing about. 722 is the date in which three Mesopotamian uh, Middle Eastern uh, nations come to power. Okay, you're familiar with the terms. Uh, They're the Assyrians, they're the Babylonians, and the Medo-Persians. Now the Assyrians ascend uh, before them. They're the first of the powers. They're not in Daniel's prophecy of the four great powers in which the Messiah is going to come. They're before that. But they are the people that God uses to punish Israel, the northern kingdom. Why? Why is God punishing the northern kingdom? Okay, idolatry. First one was Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. And you may remember this from another lesson or class. How many righteous kings did Israel have once the kingdom divided? Zero. Zero. And so God's been patient for a long time, but now finally in 722, he has caused uh, Ashurbanipal to come up in the Assyrians, and they invade um, Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, and take them into Assyrian captivity. What happens to those people? Those ten northern tribes, what happens to them? They're destroyed. When I say destroyed, some of them are killed. They're killed in the northern kingdom. They're killed up in Assyria. They're very brutal people. Some of them intermarried. Some of them trickled down ultimately. And they intermarried with the natives, either the people where they came from or in that area. And guess what they became known as? The Samaritans. All right, so we have uh, that taking place. Sometimes they're called the ten lost tribes of Israel. There are some righteous ones from the northern kingdom that come down and join with Judah. That happens at the breakage uh, of the the kingdom, the northern and the southern kingdom. So that's 722 B.C. It's an important date. It figures into our minor prophets. In 612, uh, we have Babylon rise uh, and become a world power. I don't have the date up there, but 606 is the battle of uh, Carchemish, where Babylon becomes the premier power in the Middle East. And it's at the same time in 606 that they come into Jerusalem and they start taking off the people of God into captivity. Why is God taking the southern kingdom into captivity? Sin. So, and, and I'm saying all this, and, and for those of you who don't geek out on history like I do, I'm trying to keep your eyes from glazing too far and getting the eyelids down too far, but it's important because the writers are writing about, warning about these events before they happen, saying, look, this is going to happen if you don't turn back to me. And they didn't, and as a result of that, you're going to find them going, these, these dates in history are the fulfillment of God's promise to the prophets if they don't come back to him. All right, but this is also the first wave of captivity. In 597, you have uh, the people, the, the city of Jerusalem falls. That is, they come in, the Babylonians, and they take over. King Jehoiakim, if you read in the book of Jeremiah, he goes into uh, exile. They also take away some of, this would be Daniel and Ezekiel, some of the nobles. They take them off into captivity. And then in 586 B.C., he comes in and he destroys the temple uh, just tears up the city. And this is the third wave of captivity. So in three waves, Jeremiah talks about it. They go into Babylonian captivity. The book of Daniel says they're going to be there, Jeremiah says they're going to be there 70 years. In 539, Cyrus the Great uh, and the Persians come into power because this is in Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar uh, sees the hand. You remember he sees the hand riding on the wall and there's no body attached to it? He's the last Babylonian king. And the, the words that he writes are many, many, tickle you, farsin. You've been weighed in the balance and found warning. The kings will be taken away from you. And on that night, the Persians, the Medo-Persians come in and take control. 536, Cyrus makes his great decree saying that you're, uh, the, the captive nations can go back and they can rebuild their cities and rebuild the temple. So this is the signal, God says, to the people of Judah who are willing, go home, rebuild the temple. That starts... They get a good start. The Samaritans, another reason why the Jews don't like them, they frustrate, they tattle on them, and say that they're trying to be uh, rebellious. And so, for 14 years, the work on the temple stops. And then God sends uh, two prophets in, in five. Uh, see, it should be 520 there, uh, 520 BC. Haggai and Zechariah, and they say, get back to work. And they drive them, and they finish the work. 5.16, they dedicate the temple, the second temple, not Solomon's, but the one that they rebuild when the people cry because it's not as beautiful as the first uh, one was. 4.57, Ezra leads more people back into the land. They restore the law. And in 4.45, Nehemiah uh, rebuilds the walls around Jerusalem. Now... I know that that's too fast, too many dates. But what I'm trying to tell you is there's the time in which all of this prophetic writing is taking place. Some of the prophets are going to be writing before 722. Some of the prophets are going to be writing about some things that are the consequence after 445. But there's the heart of the times in which these prophets write. But what about the spiritual times? What do we know about the spiritual times of the minor prophets? You can almost guess right from what we've said they were dark times yeah sometimes sometimes judgment it's different messages depending on who and depending on when right there are two books written to the people of Nineveh do you remember which ones they are you got one of them, Jonah's one of them who does the sequel Nahum what's Jonah's message to the people of Nineveh repent and then what enjoy forgiveness God's going to spare you. What's Nahum's message? Done too much, gone too far. You won't come back. You're gone. All right? That's, so it's, it's very interesting to see. It depends on when the, we're talking. All right, so when we talk about the times spiritually, it is a low time. Uh, Solomon has forgotten God. He's turned away and followed the, the gods of his wives. It causes the kingdom to divide. This is going to be at the, in the 10th century B.C. Uh, it's during this time when Obadiah and Joel are going to be writing uh, that you're going to uh, have Ahab and Jezebel. There's some uh, peaches of some people right there, aren't they? Worst of the worst, they're going to be in the early part of the 900s B.C. Uh, Manasseh is going to be in this time. In the 7th century, about 686 B.C., Manasseh is the king of Judah. Very influenced by the northern kingdom. But you know what Manasseh did? Manasseh did something unthinkable. He sacrificed his son to Molech. And it was on the basis of that act chiefly that God said, that's the straw on the camel's back. Judah's going into Babylonian captivity. I've got to punish this. That you would offer your children as sacrifices is abominable. And so that's happening during this particular time. Um, we uh, could think of some some other things maybe but there's some, there are some highlights there's some good times. Um, the, 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 the reigns of Asa and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Josiah good kings of Judah are, are going to occur during this period of time but they're bright spots against a dark backdrop that's going to be so bad that God is going to punish both kingdoms the northern kingdom and the southern Kingdom And then we're going to see in some of the later books what happens when they come back from punishment. Because God's also a God of restoration. He's a God of forgiveness. A God who puts people back to work when they come back to him. And he uses them and works through them. Um, I think I mentioned on your sheet that there are, you can divide these books into various periods. About half the books belong to what we would call the Assyrian period. That's the earlier part. That's the 8th and 7th century. So that would be the books of Jonah. We've already mentioned several times. Amos. Hosea, Micah, Zephaniah, and Nahum. Let me give you those again. It's Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Zephaniah, and Nahum. Now each of the class periods in which we deal with this will tell you who they wrote to. But in this period, some are writing to the north and some are writing to the south. Okay. Uh, The second classification is what we call the Babylonian period. There's only one minor prophet in that period. And that's in the 7th century, and that's Habakkuk. Habakkuk is wrestling with God. Why are you using the Babylonians to punish us when they're far more wicked than we are? Okay, and then we'll work through that book and see the resolution. And then what we have is the Persian period. The Persian period is also sometimes known as the post-exilic period. This is Cyrus the Great, the very kind and magnanimous king of Persia, who allows Judah to go back home to fulfill the prophecies that he's made with these earlier prophets to be able to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, to restore the law, and to rebuild the temple. Okay, so this is your Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Now, who's sitting there, as fast as I've gone, that's Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Who's there doing some quick math and seeing there's a problem? How many is in that Assyrian period, for those rapid enough to write them down? How many were there? Six. How many in the Babylonian period? One. How many in the post-exilic period? Three. I know I are a preacher and I are not a mathematician, but I think we're missing two. And that's Joel and Obadiah. And the reason that we don't necessarily know where to put them is that it's hard to date those books. But the the best of scholarship, the best of circumstantial material would lead us to believe that they are the two earliest books. Uh, And that being the case, they would really belong to the Assyrian period, but what would be called the the early Assyrian period. And that's the 9th century B.C. They're not the world power that they're going to become, but they are ascending. And they are in the focus of God because God sees the future. He's looking ahead to what's going to take place. Okay. Any questions about the time? All right, let's talk about the tasks of the prophet. Um, I have 5 subpoints that I'm not going to get a chance to talk about, so um, I may mention them in passing. But I think for us to talk about the tasks of the prophet, we need to help ourselves know something more about a prophet. What is a prophet? How do you define what a prophet is? Spokesman for God. That's one of um, really the most basic definitions. Are there any other aspects to what it means to be a prophet of God with regard to his work or with regard to his mission? Think about what what did Moses say about a prophet? How do you know if somebody's a prophet of God? Very basic litmus test. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 through 22. What they say comes true. If it doesn't, don't worry. They weren't sent from me. All right, so a prophet is... A, a true spokesman of God, which means that you can test what they say comes to pass. Alright? Uh, another thing about a prophet is that we need to understand that their messages were conditional. Now, you think about in the Pentateuch, and it's written conditionally, right? You have the mountain, mountain of blessing and the mountain of cursing. But you have Jeremiah who says in Jeremiah um, chapter 17, I believe it is, that in verse maybe 5 or 6 through 11, he says... Basically, if a nation—I may have a nation intended for good, but then they sin, and I'm going to destroy them. Or I may have a nation marked for destruction, but they turn around and I save them. And so when Jer—especially Jeremiah—I know he's not a minor prophet, but he's a prophet. His message was, "This is the message, but if you don't change, this is what's going to happen. But if you do change, a completely different outcome." That's the nature of prophecy. In the Old Testament and New Testament prophecy, it's conditioned on man's response. All right, um, he's one. Uh, that's by the way. It's Jeremiah 18: uh, 5 through 11. Um, there's a beautiful passage uh, or phrase that's found nine times in the Old Testament, and I wish we had time to really break it down. And it's my servants, the prophets. Uh, it's a rich study. I may preach it at some point. Found nine times. And uh, in, in just to think about this. God says it every time. He speaks in the possessive, and He says they are My servants, the prophets. And I want you to think about every time God says something is His. He's saying it's precious, it's valuable. And I want you to press pause for a moment. I want you to think about 1 Peter chapter two and verse nine. When God talks about Christians through Peter, what does He say about us? What are we? We're a holy nation, we're royal priesthood, but what else are we? We're a people for what? Now, if you're thinking King James, you're going to think peculiar people. It kind of misses the point of what Peter's saying. He's not saying we're weirdos, though some of us may be. What's he saying there? What's peculiar people mean? Set aside, special, people. Most translations pick this up. A people for God's own possession. When you think about how God looks at you and sees you as a child of God, that's what he's saying about you. And that's what he says about his faithful prophets that we're going to be reading about and talking about in this quarter. They're mine. And when you see how he speaks of them in the Old Testament, he is saying that I've chosen them. They're vessels of mine set apart for my use. He also says they're my servants. What does that indicate to us? What does Jesus teach us about service? And we see it illustrated by the prophets. What does he say in Matthew 23 verse 10? What is the position of a servant in God's eyes? He's first. He's the greatest. And Jesus illustrates that for us so we don't miss it, right? In John 13, 12 and following, when he washes the disciples' feet, he says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Uh, And you say, I'm the master and Lord, and I've washed your feet. I served, and so I'm telling you it's great. And... He talks about their position, their prophets. Um, and there's a lot to be learned about that. But that's the task that they had is to serve as a, a seer for God. Um, when we talk about them, they were exemplary. James says in James 5 and verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets as an example who have spoken in the name of the Lord for suffering affliction. You know, it's it's... It's interesting, there are three major classes of Old Testament leaders outside of princes and and people who are in official positions, and that's the prophet, the priest, and the king. And there was a sense in which all three of those who were God-approved were mediators. They mediated, they stood between God and man. And the prophet does, because the prophet's coming in and he's saying, here's what God is saying, here's what you're doing, either encouragement, but more often in the minor prophet period, a need for change and a need for adjustment. And he certainly is. He's the mouthpiece. Uh, and so you'll see uh, it said so often, uh, the Lord said. All right, we'll get to that here in just a moment. All right, anything else about their task? All right, let's talk about the themes. I'm just going to give you... I right, here you go. If you... Here's the things I didn't say. There they are. What are the themes? Well, that was so good I did it again. Sorry. All right. Um, let me... Let me just give it to you. I'm going to just give you a synopsis of each of these books that will help you to maybe tease yourself as we get into the individual books. Hosea. Hosea's theme is to express in strong emotional terms the love that God has for us. Really, for all else that's said, and I'm, this is going to be one of our longest books of the minor prophets, that in Zechariah, But God tells Hosea to marry a harlot and to have children by her. And she is going to leave him. She's going to abandon him to go back to the ways that she was. And God's saying, Israel, Israel, that's who he's speaking about, that's you. But I love you. Just like Hosea wanted Gomer back when she had gone so low, had been so misused by her lovers, nobody else wanted her. Hosea took her back. God says, that's me. And how awful, how lost we are apart from God. That's the book of Hosea. Alright, then the book of Joel. It is about the the locusts uh, and uh, the catastrophe that they brought. But the message of Joel is that God rejects apathy. When God sees apathy, he wants us to know it always ends in disaster. Amos, the severity of sin causes God to roar against it. So Amos is saying, when you're walking away from God, you're always going in the wrong direction. All right, so Amos, the severity of sin causes God to roar against it. Obadiah, God judges sinful pride, and Edom is a historic example. Jonah, God sends prophets to the Gentiles because he loves them too. Micah, Micah is basically a, a heavenly judgment scene where God testifies against sin. Um, I don't know which of us has Micah. It's not going to be as edifying as some of the other books. It's a pretty, pretty hardcore book in some of what he says, Micah and Amos both. Nahum, that's kind of the opposite. It's a book of comfort for the people of God. It's a sequel to Jonah. He's going to destroy them because of their sin, uh, that is, Assyria. Habakkuk explores the problem of how just God can let an evil nation punish his people. It's a study in providence. God's going to use them, and then God's going to destroy them. Um, Zephaniah, it prophesies God's punishment against his people and their neighbors, but the coming Messiah would bring true deliverance. Haggai, rebuild the temple. Zechariah, rebuild your lives. Malachi is one last effort to get God's people out of spiritual laziness. And in the last chapter of the Old Testament, it's pretty cool how there's 400 years. So in your Bible, it's it's, it's hard to to get the drama of this because you go from Malachi chapter 4, that little short chapter, you flip the page, how long does that take? Millisecond? That's 400 years. You know what he does in, in Malachi chapter 4? He says, John the Baptist is coming next. And then you turn over to Matthew and guess what happens? But there's four centuries of time. Think back in your mind. 1623. Just yesterday, wasn't it, in our nation's history? We weren't even a nation. That's how much time goes by. And that's how the Old Testament and the minor prophets end. Uh, let me just give you some uh, five key words real quick before that third bell rings. Um, the Hebrew word that's translated say or said is found 298 times. Uh, it highlights that God has the authority. Uh, why does Hosea marry Gomer? Because God said. Amos repeatedly uses the phrase, the Lord said, the prophets throughout their writings say, look, this is his message, not ours. And then there's the, the word yom. You've probably heard that in Christian evidences. That's the word day or, day or daylight. We usually talk about that, you know, the fourth day, the fifth day, is a 24-hour day. That word is used to speak of the day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment, a day of deliverance. And you'll find it um, 176 times. You, you have the word that's translated land or country. It makes sense when we're talking about the nations of Judah and Israel and these foreign nations that the prophets are going to speak a lot about them. The word translated, the Hebrew is a very elastic language and so... The same Hebrew word is for dwelling place, palace, and temple, uh, and house. Um, where We're talking about the building of the temple, the destroying of the temple, the kingdom or house of men that are going to rise and fall. Uh, that's uh, used a lot. And then the word Israel, uh, 105 times, it's used both ways, of all the people of God and of uh, the northern kingdom. Now here's the thing I want to close with. How diverse the minor prophets are when you look at the fact that Amos and Hosea contain some stories about the prophets some insight into who they are their their background their heritage their even their occupations and then there are some about which we know nothing at all Nahum we just know his writings Jonah what do we know about Jonah's prophetic message Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. The rest of Jonah is about the prophet. It's his story. Zechariah is mostly visions, but Malachi's an extended debate between the prophet and the readers. Habakkuk reveals the prophet. Talking to God. There's not as much said from God to Habakkuk. It's Habakkuk trying to work out why is this taking place and him coming to accept that God's in control and God's going to do what's right. Habakkuk 3 and verse 17. Haggai gives a specific date. A lot of them give us no clue whatsoever. So we have diverse styles. We have diverse times, diverse audiences, and diverse men. But there's going to be much about the Messiah and there's going to be much New Testament application to our lives which we'll see starting next week. All right. Yes, sir? Oh, thank you for that. Obadiah. Obadiah. So start now so you can get through it between now and next week. All right.